As you can see, I'm singing bass today, so uh, still not quite over my, my sickness. I'm over the sickness, I just don't have my voice back, so I get to feel manly today. So. But if you'll bear with me this morning, we're going to get through this. And uh, as I want to thank Anders for reading for us this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at our second study in, in our study of the book of Titus, looking at Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. Uh, where he talks a lot about elders. But before we do that, I just want to do just a quick overview of what we talked about in part one. Uh, Anders did include this in his reading. We looked at Titus 1, verses 1 through 4, and essentially what we see is Paul is writing to Titus, who he has left in Crete to take care of some business that needs to be taken care of for the churches there in Crete. Paul obviously has some other work that he needs to go take care of, and that's why he's leaving Titus, because he trusts Titus to be able to take care of those things. And what we see is that Paul states his motivation is the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And he's motivated through that hope uh, to preach the gospel and to spread the gospel and to help the churches. And that's exactly what he is doing when he leaves Titus there in Crete to oversee these churches. Uh, And as we'll see, as as we pick up in in verse 5 of Titus chapter 1, he gets down to business and he tells exactly what Titus needs to do. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. So even though Paul is gone, again, he's leaving Titus there to say, hey, there's still some work to do. There's some things that I need you to accomplish so that we can get these churches where they need to be. Now, he uses this word, put what remained in order. And another way to say that is to set straight. And when I think of setting straight, I think of when I was in eighth grade. I was a tough football player, and I made it about three games And before about the, I think it was the fourth game, before kickoff even happened, we were doing tackling drills and I got tackled and I fell and I broke my wrist. And my dad takes me to the ER and the doctor says, it's broken and it's on the growth plate and we've got to set it straight. So what they do is they take my hand and they put my my fingers in these these finger traps and they, it's just dangling there. And I'm thinking, what is he doing? What's happening? And then that doctor grabs my bicep with both of his hands and starts yanking it over and over. He's like, we got to get it set straight. We've got to set it in place. He goes, he takes, a, he takes an x-ray, and he says, if we can't get this straight, we're going to have to do surgery. He comes back with that x-ray and says, we're going to try it again. Puts him back in, does it again. This goes about four to- on about four times, and I am not happy. I'm hurting. I may have been a tough tough eighth grader that was shedding a tear or two. But the last time he does it, he comes back and he says, we've got it set in straight. You, you want, what you have to understand is, is that doctor knew that if he did not get that bone in the right place, if he did not set it straight down the road, there were gonna be some issues with my wrist. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I've left you, Titus, to get things set in order, to set things straight so that down the road, we don't have these issues. We don't have these problems. These problems can be taken care of. And he tells Titus in the very next part of this verse exactly what he needs to do. He says, appoint elders in every town, or in other words, in every congregation. God's plan was then, and it still is, that every congregation should have qualified men who are in charge of that congregation. And, but there are a few things I want to talk about. First of all, When he talks about elders, and when we talk about elders in congregations, you're going to see that that word elder is always plural. There's always more than one, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. First of all, it's going to provide mutual accountability. 
in the decisions that are made in their own lives. They can be accountable to each other to make sure they're living the life they need to be living. And also that authority is spread out. It's not concentrated with one person. It also is going to lighten the load. The job of an elder is a big job and it's a tough job, especially when you have a a congregation this size. To have one person taking care of all of those things, that's that's too much. So it's spread out between men, not just one man. And also it gives multiple points of view. You have men who are dedicated to the word of God, who are into the word of God, who, who are striving to understand the word of God, but all come from different backgrounds and different points of view that can go into making those decisions that need to be made. Not only does he say elders plural, he says in every congregation. Every congregation needs elders. That is God's plan for his church. Now, if you look at some denominations, they, they do it a little bit differently. They'll have maybe some leaders at the, at the congregation level. Then they might have a regional leadership that, that those people answer to. Then that regional leadership may answer to uh, nationwide leadership and so on. But God's plan was that each congregation had elders in place, leadership in place, that didn't have to answer to any other man. They answered to God. And that's important. Because when you have people who are in that congregation, guess what? They're a part of the congregation. They're building relationships with the congregation. They're getting to know the congregation. They're worshiping with the congregation. And who better to know what that individual congregation needs than those people who are a part of the congregation, those qualified men who are a part of that congregation? How is somebody that lives four or five hours away going to make a decision for a congregation not knowing the congregation itself? God's plan is the way towards having that leadership in each congregation. And Paul understood that. He understood the importance that elders play in the individual congregations. He also knew many of the problems that were taking place there in Crete could be solved or headed off before they even happened with men who were qualified to lead those congregations. And that's why Paul left Titus there. So that he could have people ordained into that position of elder in each of those congregations so that he could go take care of things for the gospel in other places. And he didn't have to worry that he's not leaving those congregations in the hands of people. He, he knows that he's gonna leave them in the hands of qualified men who can lead that church and help that church grow like it should. Elders are important. And when I think of this, I think of Amarillo Church of Christ. I've been here, I guess I first came here 24 years ago. And I had grown up in Plainview. I had always gone to Plainview. Plainview was a church that always, as long as I'd lived and way before I'd lived, always had strong leadership in the church. Did they make mistakes? Yes. Just because you're an elder doesn't mean you're not gonna make mistakes. But they they did a good job of leading the church. And I never had to question, I never had, nobody ever came to me and said, hey, what do you think about this decision? I was 18 years old. I couldn't even take care of myself. But you know, I came to the church of Amarillo and it was a little different. The church at Amarillo at that time did not have leadership in the form of elders. So all of a sudden, I come to this congregation and we are having these business meetings. And I'm gonna tell you, there were some times that the business meetings were kind of chaotic. There were some times, I mean, me being 18 years old, 
again, not even really able to take care of myself the way I should, I'm making decisions for the church. At least I'm helping. I'm raising my hand. I can't tell you the thought process in my head when those decisions came up, if I really thought those out. I can tell you, though, that I didn't have that real burden of responsibility that an elder has because they are accountable for the church. I kind of left the meeting and I just said, okay, I think we did a good job. Now, I'm not putting that process down because at the time, we, at that time, we did not have that leadership and we weren't ready to implement that leadership. What I tell you we did have though is we had men who were doing the job of an elder without having the title. And I don't ever remember a time during that seven-year period that I was here from 2000 to 2007 that I don't ever remember a time that we weren't working towards implementing that type of leadership, God's approved plan of leadership. We were always looking to that. And luckily in 2007, two of those men who were doing the work of an elder were ordained. We, we ordained, that ordained Carrie and Craig, I always wanna say Carrie and Jason, Carrie and Craig at that time were ordained as our elders. And I'm gonna tell you, it was a night and day difference. I feel blessed to be a part of that process. Now, again, those business meetings were essential in us getting to that point. And it was the best way we knew to lead the church at that point. But once Carrie and Craig were ordained, it was night and day. And things started to get done. And things started to happen. If you look at the church in 2007 when Carrie and Craig were ordained, there were maybe, and we've kind of talked about this, this is an estimate, so if I'm completely wrong on this, don't yell at me. We say about probably 60 or 70 people who would come to a morning service on a Sunday morning. Today, 130 to 150 is generally where we sit. Sometimes closer to 160. It's amazing. We're in a new building, in a safer neighborhood that's more accessible Deacons have been ordained. A lot of good things have happened since that point. And I'm going to tell you, when we submit to the plan of God, when we submit to his will, when we submit to his way of leadership, good things are going to happen. And that's exactly what's happened with our church here at Amarillo. And it's been such a blessing. Now, while elders were needed there in those churches at Crete, Paul understood that we couldn't just go in and throw whoever was in there into that leadership position. There were qualifications that must have been met, that must be met for somebody to be an effective leader in that congregation. We can't just pull the guy out that says, oh, we've been, he's been here for 35 years. He was here from the very beginning. Let's put him in that position. If he's not qualified, he doesn't need to be in that position. And that's the thing. Not everyone is going to be qualified. But Paul uses the rest, the rest of these verses 6 through 9, he's going to use those to talk about qualifications of these elders. And the fact is, is that God wanted men qualified to perform the duty of elder because it's a job. It's a work. It's hard. And God set out certain qualifications that men must have to be qualified to do the job of an elder. 
So we're going to talk a little bit about those qualifications. Now, a lot of times we'll take Titus 1, 6 through 9, we'll take 1 Timothy 3, and we'll pull those out of their direct context. And we'll see what kind of qualifications a man must have, and we'll think about those qualifications, especially at those times we did it a few years back, when, and we, all, we agreed and made the decision that Jason was qualified. We had, we had evangelists come, and he was ordained into that position. Today, I don't want to get bogged down in the qualifications. They're important, and at some point, we'll do it again when we feel it's time to, to go through that process again. But I do want to go through those qualifications just really quickly, real quick. And Andrew's already read this, so I've, I've laid these out in a little chart here. First of all, a man must be above reproach. He must have a high moral character. No charge can be brought against him within the church or outside of the church. He must be the husband of one wife. He's a one-woman man. Craig said that very well. He's a one-woman man. He's not looking at other women or flirting with other women. He's faithful to his wife. His children need to be in subjection. His children are brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They're in subjection to his authority. And you look at those first three and you think, if a man can't lead his own house, how can he lead the church of God? Going on, he says a man can't be arrogant. He can't be prideful. Think of himself more highly than others. He's not quick-tempered. He's not quick to anger. He doesn't have a hot head. He's not a drunkard. His thinking's not altered by alcohol or some other kind of substance. He's not violent. That's pretty self-explanatory. He's not greedy for gain. He does, he's not anxious to gain riches. He's a, he avoids a dishonest gain. He's hospitable. He's generous to guests and ready to entertain those and, and teach the word of God when he, when he has an opportunity. He's a lover of good. He loves good things. He, his influence of his life is what's good and what's right. He's opposed to evil. He's self-controlled. He re- regulates pl- his pleasures and passions. He's upright. He's honest, righteous. He's a fair man. He's holy. He's sincerely religious and devoted to the service of God. He's disciplined. He has his faculties under control. He has a self-mastery over himself. He holds firm to the word of God. He trusts in the word of God. He seeks it out. He learns it. He gets to know it. And he's able to teach. He has the ability to teach, to exhort, to encourage, and to convict one who opposes the word of God and convince others of wrong and teach those who he's leading in his flock. Generally, those are the qualifications laid out in the book of Titus. And again, I don't want to spend all our time here because I think we can pull those out of context and we can go through each one of those. But this morning, I want to look at the context of what Paul is telling Titus. Now, before we go on, though, I want us to understand something. A lot of times we look at these qualifications and we go to 1 Timothy 3 and we look at those qualifications and we look for reasons to disqualify people. You know, one time, he was real mean to me. He's not qualified. One time, I saw him have a drink out at the restaurant. He's not qualified. And we're so nitpicky, and we, we don't look at the person. We look at one or two single things that they've done to us or offended us in some way, and we say, they're not qualified. And here's the thing. An elder is still a man. An elder is still going to sin. An elder is still going to fight temptations. And what we have to understand is we need to look for men who are trying their best to live a life according to God and to fulfill these. And what tells us a lot is how they react to when they make a mistake. 
If they fly off the handle at you, how do they react to that? Do they seek to fix it? We can't use this as a hard, fast way to disqualify people or we'll never have leadership. But we have to understand, we need to find those men who are dedicated to God and his will and his word, striving to be this type of person every day of their life. Now, before we get past the qualifications, I want to mention one other qualification that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I think this is a very important qualification. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. One qualification that a man must have is a desire to do the job. Understanding the gravity of the situation and the office that they're being put in. Understanding they're accountable for the church and the members of that church. There's a lot to that. And you have to have somebody who desires that. Now, what we have to understand is that that's a proper desire. A proper motivation, just like everything else in our life. You have to have a proper motivation. And I, I think Peter talks about that a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then he says, not under a compulsion. Sometimes we might know a guy that's pretty good and he fulfills all of those things. He's a great guy. But if he doesn't have the heart, if he doesn't have the desire, we can't force him into that position. Because if he does not, and, and I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing wrong with a man who doesn't have that desire. In fact, we talked about, about Carrie and Craig and many others who did the work of an elder without the title. You can still do the work of an elder without a title. But what he says is they have to be willing to do it, understanding the sacrifice it's gonna take, understanding the hours it's going to take away from their family, understanding it's going to take away from their own self and their own time. It's going to be a sacrifice for them. So again, the first one is it can't be forced on somebody. It can't just be somebody who we say, he's a good guy, let's put him in. They have to have some kind of desire, but it has to be a proper desire. It also can't be a desire for shameful gain. Again, going back to those qualifications, we, Paul's talk, talking to Titus about those qualifications. Why? Because each one of those qualifications correlates with the job of an elder. They're important to be an elder. You have to have those characteristics to be effective. And this is an example of that, not for shameful gain. Think about that for just a second. An elder is going to have access to the funds of the church. That's why it's an important qualification for somebody who struggles with that to probably not be put in that position. It's going to be a big temptation for them. What about those elders who are supported? Now, I'm going to say I have nothing against elders that are supported. I think we see examples of that in Scripture. In fact, Craig was supported as an elder here at the church here in Amarillo. And he was able to do a lot of great things when other people weren't able to do those things. He had that opportunity because he was supported. Here's the thing. These men who are supported are paid so they can do the work not doing the work so they can get paid. There's a big difference. You have to have a proper motivation. 
The fact is, is some take the opportunity to turn serving Christ and spreading the gospel into a way to make money. They commercialize the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it becomes not about bringing people in to the church because they love their soul, but it's about bringing people in because they can make more money. Again, you have to have the proper motivation. The next one he talks about is this idea of not domineering over those in your charge. That word domineering is asserting one's will over over another in an arrogant way. Again, going back to those qualifications, you can't have somebody in that position that's arrogant, that thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to. You can't have somebody in there that's going to make decisions based on what they feel is right because they have the best ideas and nobody else does. In other words, we can't have somebody in there that's just looking for power, the power to be able to to lead the church and tell people what to do. In fact, he says that it has to be out of, an, of living by the example to his flock and to those that he is leading. And that leads to what I really want to hit this morning. Again, we've talked about this idea of Titus 1 and verse 5 through 9 and 1 Timothy 3, and we pull those out, and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with pulling those out of the context, the direct context in Titus and seeing the type of man that we need in our church as leaders. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the point today. That wasn't Paul's point in in writing this letter to Titus. Paul's point in writing this letter to Titus was to say, we need men like this because these congregations need shepherds. They need leaders, and these qualifications are important. You know, when I first began this study, I started talking to different elders at different congregations. I talked to Carrie, I talked to Jason, I talked to some elders in Plainview. I just wanted to get a feel. I'm not an elder. I don't go through the everyday life of an elder. Now, I get to see a little bit of that, but I can tell you, I don't know 90% of what they go through on a daily basis and what they deal with and what they handle. I don't know those things. So I wanted to get that understanding from men who are doing the job. And every single one of them gave me the same answer. They said, shepherd the flock. I know nothing about sheep. Absolutely nothing about sheep. So obviously my next question was, what does it mean to shepherd the flock? What does that mean? And I got some good answers from that. And when Peter uses that, when he says shepherd the flock, he uses it because those people understood the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. Those people understood that. That was common back in those days. And there are a lot of similarities between a, a shepherd and his sheep to an elder and his congregation and his flock. There's a lot of similarities in that. And I'm going to go through a few of those that they talked about when I, when I had those conversations this morning because I think it's very impactful to look at that. And as we look at how an elder shepherds his flock, the first thing that, that most of them told me was they were there to protect the flock. And I think of a shepherd. I think of David as a shepherd. He fought lions. He thought, fought bears. Oh, my, Right? He was willing to give his life to protect his flock. That was his duty. That was his job. And I think about Paul writing to Titus. Paul had been there. 
Paul had been with those churches in Crete. He understood what was going on in that society that these churches were in. They were a moral, an immoral society. They were immoral people. In fact, Paul, as we go on in verses 10 through the rest of this chapter in part three, we're going to hear about all of the things that were going on outside of the church and inside of the church. And Paul talks about even one of the Cretan prophets talking about his own people as liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He's talking about his own people. This is the society that surrounds those churches at that point in time. Surely the society around them had a potential to influence the church. And I think about the church of Amarillo. I think about how sometimes we scroll through our TikTok or Instagram reels, whatever the kids call it these days. Maybe get on your Facebook, which the kids will tell you they don't do. But I think of what we see there. You could hear foul language, maybe the bad word, you know, the big one, probably a hundred times within five minutes if you, if you really listened. You see all kinds of immoral relationships that are glorified. We have a society today that we sit in the midst of that, that, that looks at immorality and praises it. How can we say that that can't be a potential hazard for our congregation here today? And that was the same thing happening with the Cretans at that point. It's a weird word, Cretans. I, I guess that kind of explains who the type of people sometimes, I guess. But not only there, not only that, there were people who claimed to be religious. Paul talked specifically about the circumcision party. And again, we'll talk about that in the next part. But they actually were not following God. And those people could actually be within the congregation. And without elders, who's the first line of protection? Elders are there to protect against those things. And that's the reason God wants men who are qualified to take the lead of his church to take the lead of his congregation. And if that person is leading the church, when that danger presents itself, they're gonna be ready. But what happens when we just have somebody in there that's not qualified? Probably not ready. And I think of what Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 12. He's talking about a flock of sheep that's just left with a hired hand. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. If we get men in, in that leadership role that are not qualified, what's gonna happen when they need the protection? The problem is, is they might disappear. If they're not prepared, if they're not prepared, they might actually take part in it. And that's a scary thought. Elders are there for protection, just like a shepherd is there for protection of his sheep. You know, Jesus goes on in this same chapter, John chapter 10, verse 14, and he talks about him being the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. As an elder, you have to have a selfless love like Christ did. You know, Jesus is calling himself the good shepherd. 
He's the good shepherd. And one thing that he says makes all the sense in the world when I was talking to, to some of the elders. He says, I know my own and my own know me. Specifically, Carrie and David Pinkerton, and if you know David Pinkerton, he knows a lot about sheep. He knows a lot more about sheep than I do. But one thing that they both said, and I think Carrie actually shared this from the pulpit the last time he talked about it, but he said, a shepherd should smell like sheep. I mean, that's kind of strange, right? A shepherd should smell like sheep, but it makes sense, right? Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me. An elder has to be in and among his people. He has to be building those relationships. Why? So he knows his own. He knows his flock. He knows his congregation. He's got to be building those relationships. And when you build those relationships, you start to see the strengths of your flock. You start to see the weaknesses of your flock. You start to see those warning signs. And by knowing those those in your flock and being prepared for that, you are ready to provide the protection that's needed. You know, I think of the parable of the shepherd whose sheep has gone astray in Luke chapter 15, verses three through seven. What happens when that sheep goes away? That elder knows, or that, that, that shepherd knows. And what's that shepherd gonna do? Go get the sheep and bring it back to the fold. When an elder knows his sheep, when he smells like his sheep, his flock, when he knows them and he's building those relationships, he's gonna see those warning signs. He's going to be able to help them and bring them back to the fold. You know, this is an expectation of an elder, that they are there to protect the flock. And, and Jesus Christ says, as the shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. Elders are expected to lay down their life for the sheep. And that's not in that particular context, I don't think, necessarily. Now, I'm sure that they would risk their life for me. I, 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 would, I would think they might do that. I don't know. But we look at it in a different way. Think about our elders as they go to a study with somebody. Maybe they go to the study at nine o'clock at night because that's the earliest that study can start. And they get to talking and maybe, maybe the study goes on till about 12.30 or one in the morning. They get home about 1.30. They get in the bed, get ready to go to sleep knowing they have to go to work in the morning. And then they get a phone call. And it's somebody in their congregation that's struggling and needs help. Do you think they're gonna hang up the phone and say, we can take care of that in the morning. No. They're going to roll out of bed knowing full well that in four hours they have to be at work. And they're going to go help. They sacrifice every day to protect their flock. And one of the biggest ways when we talk about protecting the flock, one of the biggest ways that an elder is going to be able to protect his flock is by knowing the word of God being able to share that word of God. It goes back again to those qualifications. Being able to teach that. Being able to protect from things that are being taught in the pulpit. Being able to protect from ideas that come from the society that surrounds them. Knowing that word of God and understanding that. And we see that in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word of, as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. They have to be prepared and ready and know the word of God. Paul understood this and we see that in Acts chapter 20. 
As he's talking to the elders at Ephesus in verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. What Paul says is, when I leave, things are going to happen. And there are people who are going to come in that are going to try to tear your flock away from you. There might even be people within the church who try to do those things. You've got to be ready. The first thing he says is pay careful attention to yourselves. Be ready. Be prepared. Know the word of God. Be able to protect against that. Elders are essential in the protection of the congregation, just like a shepherd is essential in the protection of his own flock. Another thing that an elder must do, just like a shepherd, is to lead the flock. You think of Psalm 23, the Lord's Prayer. He leads me by still waters. An elder has to lead his congregation. And as we mentioned earlier, many of the qualifications that Paul mentions lead to a qualified elder being a positive example. They don't lead just by word. They don't lead just by barking orders. They lead by living a life that's dedicated to Christ. And we saw that. We just read that, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Saying, pay careful, make sure you're in a proper relationship with God. Make sure you're living the life that you need to be living. Why? Because 1 Peter 5 and 3 says you have to be an example to the flock. But I think Hebrews 13, verse 7, the writer in Hebrews lays this out really well. He says, remember, those lead- remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Pretty interesting, right? An elder has to live a life where his congregation can look to him and say, that's how I need to be. Why? Not because he's leading it the way he wants to, but because he submitted himself to the word of God and the will of God, and he's willing to do whatever it takes. And he's living a life that people can look to him to see how to live a godly life. Now, again, does that mean that they're not going to make mistakes? Absolutely not. I think you could probably talk to either Carrie or Jason this morning, and looking back on their time as an elder, they might look back and say, you know, I probably would have handled that a little differently. But that's okay. They are men, but they're striving to do the will of God. They're striving to lead by the word of God. And they can do that by their example. Another way that a shepherd shepherds the flock is they feed the flock. And this kind of goes back to what we just talked about when we talk about, about protection. An elder has to know the word of God and be able to feed the church to feed the church. And that feed is the feed of the word of God. Feeding them with the word of God, instructing them in the word of God. And again, going back to those qualifications, they have to be able to teach. They have to be ready to teach. And that's not just from up in the pulpit. That's, I think of, of an elder feeding his flock in many different ways. Preparing others to go out and teach the word helping others who might want to study on their own. And I'm going to tell you, I think our elders do a wonderful job of this. Not that they do a wonderful job, in my opinion, of everything, but this specifically is something that I know that they're dedicated to. 
They're, gonna, they're going to make sure that the teaching that comes from this pulpit is acceptable and according to the Word of God. I think of all the studies that are done outside of the, the church building, whether those are group studies, whether those are studies individually, whether those are studies with people who are not a part of the congregation. Our elders put a high emphasis on leading or feeding the flock. And that's such an important job of an elder. The last one that we want to mention this morning is the fact that they provide oversight. And again, we saw that in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, exercising oversight. Congregations need oversight, plain and simple. The people within the congregation need oversight. And that's an expectation that God has for elders is that they provide that oversight. And when you talk about the word oversight, essentially what that means is that they're looking on with a sense of care and concern. Our elders, any elder that's put into that position over a congregation should have a care and concern for their people to make sure that they are doing what they need to be doing, to make sure that they are living according to the will of God. Now, I think sometimes we get tied up with this a little bit. When you think of an elder of the church, what do you think? I think a lot of times we look at an elder and we think, yeah, they make decisions for the church. And we think about the church building. They make decisions on who's going to preach. They make decisions on some of the things that might be preached. They make decisions on how the, the church is going to be set up. But the fact is, I think we get that wrong in the fact that the church is not this building. The church are the people who fill the building. And they are called to exercise oversight over the church. Us who sit in these pews. That's the oversight that they are called to have. Yet, some of that comes back to the things that happen within this wall, but it goes way far beyond that. And the thing is, is if God is not just, the question is, does God just keep track of me while I'm in this building? Absolutely not. He's going to know what I'm doing at work. He's going to keep track of what I'm doing at home. Because my Christian life should go well beyond these four walls. So when an elder is called to have oversight over his flock, we have to understand that that goes far beyond these walls. Now, does that mean that Carrie or Jason are going to show up to your, your window at about 10.30 at night and peek through the window and see what you're watching on TV? Does that mean that they're going to... Jason's... No, that's creepy, right? He's not going to do that. Absolutely not. He's not going to say, hey, bring your computer up so I can see what you've been looking at on your, in your browser history. He's not going to say, hey, bring me your financial statements so I can see where you're spending your money. He's not going to do those things. But we better expect that if we're out there living a life that's not according to the will of God, if we're out there living a life of sin, we have to understand and expect that they're going to come say, hey, what's happening? What's going on? And it's not because they want to tell you how to live your life. 
but it's because they love your soul. And it's because they're going to be held accountable for that. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. They're going to give an account for your soul one day. And they don't want to get to the day of judgment and say, why didn't you go take care of that issue? Why didn't you address that? Why didn't you even look into that? And sometimes that's hard for us because we're Americans, right? Full-blooded American, I can do what I want, and nobody can tell me how to live my life. It's not that they're telling us how to live our lives. It's that they're seeking to provide an oversight that keeps us safe and keeps us living a life that's according to the will of God. And that's such an important thing. And I think that goes to the question of the authority of the elders. You know, if we ever question the idea of submission, if you look back to Hebrews 13 and verse 17, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's an expectation for us. But if we ever question that, that, that idea of our submission to our elders, and what gives them the right to tell me how to live, we have to remember that the position of an elder was a position that's ordained by God. We saw that in Titus chapter one and verse five. That's not Paul's words, that's the word of God. And the word of God says appoint elders in every town. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, he says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is a position that's ordained by God. So in essence, when we are not willing to submit to them, not that they're gonna be dictators, not that they're going to tell us how to live every aspect of our lives, but when we don't, submit to that oversight, it's not that we're not submitting to their authority, we're not submitting to the authority of God. And we've gotta be careful about that. But I'm gonna tell you, we have elders here that love you, that want what's best for you. And hopefully we can submit to that. And I think it all goes back to that, what we said earlier when we're willing to submit to God's plan, when we are willing to do what he's asked us to do, good things are gonna happen in our lives. And that extends to all parts of our lives. And I think Paul sums it up in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, where he says, pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I think that sums it up. That understanding that elders were put in that position by God, and who better to make that decision than God, whose church he loved so much that he was willing to die for it, that he was willing to send his son to die on the cross for it, to shed his blood for it. He loved his church so much. Shouldn't we trust that he knows how it should be run? Shouldn't we be willing to submit to that? Hopefully we can today. But again, going back to that same idea, when we live a life according to God's will, good things are gonna happen. And when we understand that God loved his church enough to put the proper leadership into it. But not only that, that you can be a part of that. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for your sins. 
Because Jesus understood the helplessness that we have in taking care of our own sins and made a way through his perfect life and his sacrifice so that we could be forgiven of our own sin, so that we don't have to pay for those sins. He paid for them for us. And if you're here this morning and you would like, you've never obeyed the gospel and you want to be a part of the body, you want to be a part of the church, we can help you with that. Or maybe you're like that sheep that went astray and you need the prayers of the church, or maybe you just need prayers for something going on in your life. We can pray with you and we can pray for you, but the fact is, is we can't do it unless we know. And we want to help you and we want to support you. If you need the help of the church, come to the front as we stand and sing.